Conspiracy theories seem to be, well, kind of everywhere these days. There are even conspiracy theories, yes, in the realm of urban planning, if one can believe that, and there, this will get mentioned in a future episode of this podcast. There is, in fact, a conspiracy theory out there that says that all conspiracy theories are true. My guest today, Martin Trainer, has written a novel that takes that premise and rather runs with it down the football slash rugby field, if you will. We're going to talk about his book, The Logos Prophecy, first in a series, apparently, of a rather ambitious fiction project. And we'll talk about conspiracy theories and uh, where they cross over into science and other things and why the heck he wanted to spend time in this headspace. Hello, Mr. Trainer. Welcome to the podcast and thank you for talking to me today. Yeah, hello. Thank you for having me on. Indeed. And thank you, of course, everybody out there for listening to this episode of Conspiracy Clearinghouse. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast. And if you like what we do, donate via our Buy Me a Coffee page. You leave the world behind and enter a large chamber, filled with boxes and crates as far as the eye can see. Welcome to The Conspiracy Clearinghouse. The podcast that takes a rather skeptical look at conspiracies and mysteries. Each episode will examine various conspiracy theories, most of which are not true, a few of which might be a little bit true, and even a couple that turned out, in fact, to be true. There are many boxes in the clearinghouse, and along the way, we'll look at some mysteries and hoaxes as well. We dare to look behind the curtain that's behind the curtain. I'm your host, Derek DeWitt. Welcome to the Conspiracy Clearinghouse. So, Mr. Trainer, um, not your first book, The Logos Prophecy. You've written books before this. Yeah, I wrote my first novel was uh, The Silver Mist back in 2011. That was my first novel published. I had short stories before that. Ed Greenwood, the guy behind The Forgotten Realms for Dungeons & Dragons, he's the creator of that. He put together a project around about the, uh, 2015, so I got to collaborate on a novel that I did with him. It was through that, through um, someone involved with that a publishing company, Sal Nancy, that we uh, we spitballed the whole concept of Fall of Ancients, which the Logos Prophecy is the first book. Okay, fair enough. I mean, it, the, the, the setup for it almost sounds like the setup for a joke. Conspiracy theorist and a science guy walk into a bar and... Yeah, it's trying to get two diametrically opposed people and push them at the same thing. And the same thing is, to all intents and purposes, hard to believe, you know. When we were spitballing, myself and Sal, way back, we spitballed it, uh, sitting outside Ed's house, having morning coffee, and then we let then let lie for a while, and then about two years later, Sal got in contact with me and says, here, I think we should develop this into a universe. So that's where the Fall of Ancients basically came from. And the idea was, our, our, well, our commonality in our fascination with every single conspiracy theory. And then we went down the rabbit hole of what if they are all true? Everything. Lizard people. 
Cairn trails, the whole lot, what if it was all true? And then we obviously came to the obvious conclusion that, well, they can't because so many of them are in conflict within each other. Um, so then we said, well, what if they are all true, but not as you would think? Ah, huh. so of course, without asking for spoilers necessarily. So how would that work? Is this sort of parallel universes and all that? Like I just did some research on um, this crazy thing called Project Pegasus which um, I really didn't know that much about. Supposedly, it's this, you know, teleportation and time travel to uh, to bases on Mars conspiracy theory, which gets pushed by a couple of people. And from there, I've discovered this, cra- this crazy, massive, overarching conspiracy mythology about something called the Secret Space Program, which is quite elegant in its way because it allows for a number of contradictory conspiracy theories to coexist side by side because they uh, embrace the DeWitt Wheeler model of the universe of quantum physics, which is that uh, there are, you know, multiple universes sort of uh, next door to one another. And so you can kind of just do whatever you want within this mythological framework. and, uh, And it's all true for certain values of true. That, strangely enough, that in the Logos Prophecy, one of my two main characters, the conspiracy theorist, uh, that's their thing. That's their belief. They, there is entities from other dimensions that have been... It's a bit like the ancient aliens theories, only she believes it's not aliens from other planets, but interdimensional beings who are also shapeshifters and all the rest, who are coming from alternate dimensions and they're coming influencing life on Earth. And that's where we all came from and that's where humanity got the, the little spark of knowledge that set them off back in days gone by. We kind of went along with a more human explanation for it. The whole thing the whole thing leans a little bit heavily on the Graham Hancock's idea of this ancient civilization. That's really what it is that there was this magnificent Atlantis-style ancient civilization. It was global. It was actually intergalactic. Using quantum physics and um, various aspects of that, you can affect matter and all that. And, and it was a golden era for the world and the universe and everything. And then there was an event, and it all came to an abrupt end. And that laid an opportunity for, for deception, essentially, for the next 13,000 years, which is where we get to now. And that was the idea behind it, is that, well, it's human, but it's also galactic, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I do. Well, like, like as a part of this uh, secret space program and Project Pegasus thing, uh, some of the proponents of it, you know, who, again, like Hancock, they, they just go around instead of saying, hey, maybe, or gosh, this would be a great story. And so, like you, write a novel or novel series uh, about it, they, for whatever reason, feel they need to try and push it as it's true and that they know for a fact it's true, which I never have have never understood why these quite creative people come up with these really amazing overarching narratives. It's We know it's not true, folks. We, we're on to you. <laughs> All of you conspiracy people. The cat's out of the bag. We know that you're full of it. And as with so many conspiracy theories, it's having the answer and finding the question next. Science doesn't work like that. Science works with, here's a question, let's solve what we can find out. They have the answer. They're now trying to fit the questions to the answer. And therefore, by fitting the question, they find, you know, well, you know, we find this other thing. So therefore, we'll change the question. And so when you have the answer, it's not real science. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> you, know, uh, you can know that. Uh, 
one of the main as and it's uh it's the the second main character in the book very much reveals this is that it's very difficult to convince people that what they believe or what this answer they've come to might be wrong. Take, for example, the guy, I think his name was Holmes, who wanted to prove uh, flat earth. So he set up a, a box with uh, two holes in it and went with a guy with a torch to another side. And he accidentally proved that the earth was actually a sphere. But it didn't dent his belief that the earth was flat. <laughs> that, 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 I think that was back in 2018. And then there was the other guy who went up in the rocket and you know, sadly killed himself for his endeavours. But he went up in a rocket to want to go to 5,000 feet to basically prove that the Earth was flat when he could have just got a plane. Right, exactly. That's what I always thought. Like, just, just, just get on a get on a, an airplane. Just take a one hour flight, for God's sake. Yeah, and the thing about it is, is even though people were saying to him, you know, you can do all these things, he didn't. He wanted to do the experiment himself because he believed so wholeheartedly in it. So these people who say they've gone to Mars, I don't know how they're going to go. You know, how do you fit that one? It's one thing to to deny a certain bit of experimentation you did. It's another thing to actually fabricate that you went somewhere to another planet. A lot of these uh, these narrative suites, as I like to call them, they're outrageously complicated. I mean, Majestic 12, just that alone. That was clearly made up by two guys uh, who made it up and tricked a friend of theirs by slipping, having someone slip these documents that they had forged uh, through his mail slot. And thus comes this, this outrageously complicated, rich tale going all the way back to Roswell in the 1950s and all of this. And you're just like... I just don't understand why they don't just just write a book series and nowadays write it up as a TV show. Someone will buy it. That's, that's what uh, an adventurous author by the name of Martin Chandler decided to do. If people, I'm not saying they're down the rabbit hole, but if they have the potential to go down the rabbit hole, we can entertain them at the same time. We can take all those things and theories and bind them all together and give them give them some fun. Yeah, looking at fiction in a different kind of way as regards... But my, one of my buzz lines for this is, uh, what, what's it all about? Well, it's about every single conspiracy theory and it's about all of time and all of everywhere in the universe. Um, because if you encompass all that... Uh, you know, you've got a you've got a bag of toys that you can just play with forever. The thing about one of the things that I, and it's actually yet again I, I wrote it into the main one of the main characters, Jordan. He has twigged on something with these. Let's take for example the Ancient Aliens documentary. And what it is is that the budget they've got is huge. Like science programs would adore having that kind of money. Like they've got everything in there from CGI and everything. But some of this touched on very nicely, and I observed so that's where I had to write it in is this idea of taking two or three things that are essentially ludicrous bunging them together and then coming out at the end with some kind of open question but with a finite answer and I think that identifies the mindset so let's say we find this rock in the Nevada desert uh somebody says it's alien we find this I don't know hat in Monte Carlo and someone says it was ghosts and then we find this other third thing, a pen in uh, Russia. And somebody says it was done by, it, it used to belong to uh, Putin. And Putin is actually the same person has been living for 200 years. Now, whenever they take those three ludicrous propositions, they'll go, so if this is true, and if this is true, and if this is true, and then the finite statement comes out. Are the ancient aliens among us? 
And what do they want? Right. And why are hats so important to them? Yeah. It, this is the thing. This is the key thing is that that final statement is a kind of an identification of the mindset because, no, that's that rock in the desert is a rock. The hat's a hat and the pen's a pen. And Putin hasn't lived for 200 years. So those three things. But this final statement, as you said, that proves that you actually will believe anything as long as it fits your narrative. Uh, studies have shown that, especially in times of uh, great change, you see an increase in conspiratorial thinking. And we also today, we seem to think that like, oh, we're very special and conspiracy theories are fairly new, but they're not, you know, like I was doing research on the very first vaccine, which came from vodka from cow because it was uh, smallpox and the, the guy figured out that, oh, uh, milkmaids don't seem to get this disease nearly as badly as everybody else because, oh, it turns out it's related to cowpox, which milkmaids get exposed to when they milk the udders and they get sores on their hands and it somewhat kind of protects them against this similar disease. And uh, so, you know, he took some of that, it's kind of nasty, but true, pus from uh, a diseased udder, injected it into his son's arm and then purposely exposed the boy to the disease, you know? <laughs> yeah. I love that. Here, hey, hey, come over here, you. What are you doing? Stop playing with those things. Come over here. Bang. <laughs> yeah. Come here. It's, it's going to hurt and you might die, but just... You know, let's let's run with it. And, you know, it was successful. But almost immediately, there was an Englishman who started saying, don't let this guy do this because you will become cows. And then he went to America on a tour telling people, especially with the children, don't let the crazy cow man uh, have access to your children because he will mess them up on some fundamental basic level. I mean, he wanted to say genetic, but I don't think he was probably thinking of those terms. And uh, and they will become cows, part cow, part human, uh, sort of Dr. Moreau style. And, you know, that was that was way back then. We've had conspiracy theories for forever. Yeah. But and then the reason that they become, I think, whether they become, you know, his thing is a deluded objection to new things. Right. He just doesn't like this new thing, which is weird because so you like the status quo, which is that smallpox kills this many people every year and disfigures this many more people every year. That's OK. Yeah. But, that, but the, the thing is, is that uh, the scary person in, in this whole thing is that he will do that and he'll do his talks. But whoever is the competitor all of a sudden jumps on this and then money gets involved. Like for example, uh, when in the, in the early days of the the automobile, um, the the people in the horse industry and the saddle industry and all this started putting out uh, conspiracy theories that if you go over twenty miles an hour or whatever it was, you'll suffocate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And there was there was actually a talk of what was it? There was a doctor who said that women's wombs will shoot out of their bodies if they ride trains. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, th and that's the thing. But then, then the money from the old gets replaced by the money from the new, and then that gets smothered. And it's it's a it's a funny it's a funny funny word. Like you know, you you're familiar with David Ike. Oh, good lord, yes. David Ike used to be a very well respected uh, sports pundit. Yeah, the guy started with one thing. I can't remember what the original one he started off. He was a god being or something. Yeah, he was the son of the godhead. He basically had something similar to uh, one person I spoke to who thinks he had a stroke in Peru. But you know, he basically he fell in with this psychic 
woman, this woman who used to be an opera singer and then became a psychic who had a, uh, a spirit guide from, you know, the other realm, instruct her to tell David, who was really just seeking assistance for the rheumatoid arthritis that he, he suffered from, and that's why he had to, he had to quit sport uh, as a participant, that he was this special person. And then he kind of had a stroke or something happened in Peru, and he just... He just lost it, I guess. I mean, he makes good money at it, God knows. Well, he does. Like, he does our long lectures. You know, he kind of rivals the TED Talks, you know. I mean, uh, he's yeah, he's like anti-TED Talk. Um, I'll give Graham Hancock this. He stuck with the one thing, the ancient civilization. And there is a modicum of, you know, like the, the whole Sumerian thing is getting pushed back the odd 500 years here and there. You know, but it's, you know, just very localized and it is in Samaria. As we discover more things that we, the archaeologists dig up, they go, oh, well, you know, there was maybe 200 years before. But so there is a modicum of, of stuff that he can hang on and he sticks with the one thing. Give it egg. He went everywhere. Oh boy, he's he's all over it. Yeah. The moon is a hologram. Uh, 5G towers cause COVID which is why he can't uh, go on tour in Europe for a couple of years because he's been banned from EU nations for that little bit of nonsense. And this is the thing that's interesting is, is as I research this stuff, uh, and studies have shown this as well, not just people who perpetuate conspiracy theories, but people who believe them, is that if you believe one conspiracy theory, you are very likely to believe at least two or three other conspiracy theories. And they don't necessarily have to go together. They can be completely different. You know, the CIA killed John F. Kennedy and lizard people walk among us and the moon is a spaceship and my dog uh, causes 5G towers to turn into COVID manufacturing plants or whatever. Yeah, I love that old 5G one. Uh, that, that and the, the Bill Gates are injecting us with stuff that makes them track us. And yet again, I, I've met people and I've talked. By the way, in the research of this book, of the Rogus prophecy, I went to places that were so much fun, but you go like, really? So did you go to like conferences and things? <laughs> yeah. No, I went to, I went down on, basically on my research on, on, on the internet, but I kind of sought out people. I, I wanted to see if these people were real. That was the main thing. You know, do, do people believe that Bill Gates is injecting us through the COVID-19 vaccine. Is he injecting us with stuff so as he can track us with nanotechnology? Or would it just be easier for him to do it on our phones? You know, um, when when I when I countered that to a, a few people who believe that, when I countered that to them and said, well, they just track us with the phones, their answer was, well, what if I leave my phone at home? And I go, well, do you leave the phone at home? Well, no, my phone goes everywhere with me. Exactly. There's no need to do it. So what you're doing is you're finding the answer first, making the question fit, but you're not questioning the validity or the why anybody would do these things. Right, exactly. Yeah, it always seems like an awful lot of work uh, for a small gain. And then, you know, like the New World Order stuff, uh, I, you know, I come across again and again and again these outrageously complicated and, frankly, expensive plans on the part of the New World Order, whoever they really are, be they lizards or what have you. And uh, and I just kind of want to ask, like, apocalypse when already? What are they waiting for? <laughs> 
Well, what they're doing is they're trying to find yet again the question to the answer. And the answer is, is what, what, what makes a word? What what are the words about? And we know what it is. It's the welcome to the new, hello to the new boss, same as the old boss. Basically, it's basically various levels of feudalism or corporatism or whatever. But is it coordinated? Oh, it's opportunists. <laughs> right. This is when we talk about economic systems, that's actually what we mean is that there are there are repeating patterns. And people take opportunity of repeating patterns and that, that, that's called basic human nature. So human nature goes out, seeks an opportunity and they go and get it. That's how we got tools to uh, back in the old days. You like It's how we moved from pointy sticks to pointy sticks with pieces of flint on them. You know, but there's an opportunity. The new world order is at the basis of everything. This is what I've discovered in my... Uh, investigations. The New World Order is at the centre of everything, but coincidentally, with the ancient aliens, dimension of beings, and they're all working in conjunction with each other. They're all they all have a big plan for the universe, which is writer's gold. Yeah, well, yeah, that's for sure. I always have this thing that there's three. There is really only three types of people in the world. There's there's the true believers. There's the true believers of whatever the opposite is of the other true believers. And there's the person in the middle that is essentially moldable either way. Now, in general, you have a, a believer on one side, a believer on the other, whatever that is, and the third person in the middle that is uh, moldable. Um, for, for a writer, pick one of, the, of, of the, uh, the true believers. And if you do a good enough job of writing some fiction, you should drag a few of the other ones along as well. Um, now, in the case of conspiracy theories, you know, you, you'll have, as I said, you'll have, uh, let's take the moon landings. You'll have the, the scientist, which is the anti. You'll have the, uh, it was all faked in Hollywood studios. And then you've got the person in the middle who is, no, I kind of tend towards the science because, you know, I'm a sciencey kind of guy. But, you know, they can make a lot of good stuff in Hollywood. And they're the guys that I like the most. Well, the, the question or the problem, of course, now is that because, and I know this sounds like a conspiracy theory, but it's true that there is a concerted effort uh, on the part of some, how do I put this, private organizations working on behalf or at the behest of nation states in order to sow discord in the order of things in, in society uh, to cause people to fracture and distrust one another and so on. And yes, obviously I'm talking about China and Russia. Uh, North Korea doesn't really rate. Sorry, North Korea. I know you like to think you're a player, but you're just not. Uh, but it is Russia and China, and they really are. They they are. They're trying very, very hard to fracture um, Western society so that they can find advantage because they're not, they don't play the same game. And so they can't win our game and they don't like our game and they'll never win our game. So they think, well, let's just change the game. And we're good at, we're good at that game. <laughs> We've been doing that game forever. So if we can get them to play our game where well, we're already going to win that game. And I think, I think that is what's going on uh, very, very, very much. And we're now starting to automate it with AI and, and, or, and things like this. And so you get those kinds of people who, in order to further those aims, will pretend to be one of those middle ground people in order to cause 
you know, that's the, always the joke with the conspiracy people. I'm just asking questions. I'm just asking questions. Is your dog an alien? I'm just asking questions. Um, when we all know that the cats are the aliens, you know, that's another conspiracy theory. But I think the West woke up very late to the whole uh, use of um, social media for that aim. You know, while the West were running around showing pictures of what they were eating and their and their, their kitten jumping on a on a ball, uh, the Russians were essentially setting up um, hack farms, you know, and social media. Yeah, troll farms, yeah. They're, they're easy to see now, but 10 years ago, people were eating their stuff thinking that there were real-life people doing real-life things and having real-life opinions. And they're only using a playbook that the United States used themselves, all better, a little bit more benign in that Project Blue Book, in that people were seeing, you know, shapes in the clouds, and they said, oh, UFO and the um, Department of Defense said, "Oh, well, actually, we can probably use this as a smokescreen to cover up our actually legitimate uh, engineering of uh, you know stealth planes and stuff. So let's just do a Project Blue Book, say we're investigating, we'll create this whole new thing of of you. Well, it'll create itself, ufology, sound sciencey, and we'll uh, and whenever we let that go, thing we'll be able to kind of put a bit of." cover over what we're doing and making, as I say, legitimate planes and munitions. Yeah, and it's always funny because these become self-fulfilling prophecies, you know, during the Cold War. The United States it was famously, hey, what if we did X to the Soviets? And then someone else would go, how do we know they're not already doing it to us? I mean, that's where the whole, can we dump LSD into the water supply? Like, there's a there's a whole idea out there. I haven't actually bothered to look into it to, to find out if this is true or not. But what I heard many years ago was the reason that America fluoridated its water supply, or one of the reasons, was because fluoride breaks down LSD-25 into its components and therefore renders it inert and harmless. Because the Americans thought, what if we dump a bunch of LSD-25 into the water supplies of, say, Soviet or Soviet satellite states? And then somebody went, what if they did it to us? <laughs> well, what could we do? Well, hey, guess what? If you stick fluoride uh, in it, it, uh, it, it renders it uh, inert. Oh, well, let's stick fluoride in our water. Funny, I, I, just, I read that one just only recently, which then has developed in that fluoride can be used itself can be used for mind control. Yes, yeah, this is the John Birch Society and all that. So then, you know, you, you start with one thing and then you start hopping along and get, get increasing levels of severity that, uh, that the new world order can control us. Yeah, but they just, they're just so bad at it. I mean, they really, you know, for, for an overarching conspiracy, they're just not very good at this. So, uh, back to the book. You had this idea, you Kind of start off with this. How many books are there going to be in the series? Two, three? There's going to be three. Trilogy, classic. The first book takes place in the present day. It actually takes place, it starts at the end of this month uh, with an astrological event. It, the, the prophesies of the new future kind of thing. So that one takes place now, which revolves around the conspiracy theorist and the science guy. Uh, the second book takes place 13,000 years ago at the event which changes everything and the last book uh destruction the second book is called arcadia's end and the third book is called destruction seed and takes place thousands of years in the future so the idea is to span a period of human existence essentially wow that's uh that's rather um that's rather ambitious if i may say yeah 
We took two years to lay this down. We didn't do it half-heartedly. Whenever Sal got in contact, he said, basically, Sal Nancy, he was, um, he used to work for Random House. My publisher's in Canada. And um, Sal used to be an agent and stuff over there. He became my agent. Uh, sadly, he's dead now um, recently. But um, Sal we used to work for Random House and big in the uh, like Star Trek world and stuff like that. And when we had that spitball conversation and he contacted me two years later, he says, do you really want to go with this? And I said, yeah, I can go with it. Yeah, I'll write this. And he said, right, I want a 64-page treatment, including the whole universe, uh, a Netflix series, the movie, uh, the, the the board game, the RPG game. He, so we, we spent two years honing that. Uh, and through that process, I basically spent a lot of time getting the story right. So... It's interesting to uh, to conceive of these things. I think it's it's a smart thing to do uh, to think of these things in terms of a variety of media and formats because that is the age we're in now. I mean, with everything being digital, yeah, you know, back when we were growing up, I mean, uh, yeah, it would have been a colossal undertaking to do all this, but now everything's digital. Storage is is essentially free. Let's just call it basically free. And we can kind of just do whatever we want with this stuff. Who knows? Some of this stuff will be adapted uh, into uh, entertainment formats that don't even exist yet. Yeah, and it's one of Sal's mantras. Sal's mantra was, he, the guy was a genius. He, he, his, his head went in so many different directions. Like, I remember I accidentally told him, because I didn't really tell him a lot of things that I was doing at the time, but I told him I was doing a pottery course, and he went, I want pictures, I want uh, videos, I want uh, this, that, and the other, because I, I want the, everybody has to be able to peek behind the curtain. They have to see the real you. They want to know the creator, and they want to know the product. And that's what he was. He was very uh, engaged with the idea of multimedia um, IP development was his thing. And IP is not just one thing anymore. Mm, that's true. Um, like if, if you, you're talking about our age group, yeah, if you go back to like Stephen King in the 1970s, he wrote books, he got a deal for a book, and then his agent made an option for a movie or a uh, made-for-television uh, three-part three or something like that. But he wasn't really involved in that. That was He wrote the book. His agent did their work. Uh, and that was Sal's thing uh, as well. He said about, you know, because the, the Netflix series, um, and if anybody's out there from that, this would be a terrific series. Um, the the Netflix series, he wanted something down. He wanted at least the treatment for a 10-episode series closed, one part, so as that he had something to option. Whether they stuck with that was down to negotiations, but he wanted to be able to show that as IP prepped, he could go to anything and say, look, we've done this. What do you think? And so it's it's even more ambitious than just covering, what are we talking about, 20,000 years of history? It's, give it back to the to the to one of the taglines again. It's all the conspiracies and all of time everywhere in the universe is that uh, the, 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 the toy box or sandbox is, is huge. It's um, with short story spinoffs. You've got spinoff series. You've got uh, I close the book with an introduction to uh, another uh, narrative running alongside this with um, uh, essentially two high school students in the United States. You can have the high school spinoff. You can have the and that's just now. Right. You go back 13,000 years and you can even have all the parts of it like Assassin's Creed. You know, you can you can have all the bits coming through the, the, the various centuries. Quite exciting, I have to say. So this is it. It is, it's, 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 and it's so much fun to write. 
Right. And I think that's really, that's the essence of it. I, you know, I'm a writer also, and uh, I've known people who say they want to write and I, they say, oh, do you have any advice? And I say, yeah, my number one advice is have a world that you want to spend time in because you're going to spend a long time there. So if you want to write a book about a serial killer from the serial killer's perspective, then you need to want to be in that headspace for a year, two years, maybe three years, like you say, with things like IP development now, and especially things that are slightly more fantastical. This could be your life for 10 years. You better make sure it's a, it's a life you like. And that you like the guys that you're, you know, uh, some, some people say to me is, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, when this happened to this character and I go, yeah, that surprised me too. And I went, well, you wrote it. And I went, yeah, but I didn't know they were going to do that. You know, it's... <laughs> but it is interesting. You've So you've written these, these characters that you like, especially Ari Long, the conspiracy theorist. Uh, but then the other two books, she's not going to be in them because they take place in completely different um, epochs. And that's it. That's the thing. It's a it's um, a case of introducing a new set of characters. Thirteenth, certainly for the next book is the, the one I'm thinking about now because I'm written it yet and I have to get on to that. Is uh, thirteen thousand years ago? Yeah, we've got we've got some other characters, but yet again, given the conspiracy of it, where's the link? Where's the thing? They all, you know, it will all tie together. There has to be a link between these characters now and those characters then, and the ones in the future in essentially how the universe built is built around them. Um, and, and that's the fun. That's what I'm saying. You, know, you, you have to have fun. You have to enjoy what you're doing as a writer. And the great fun of it is when it's difficult. Solving the difficult problem of how do I marry up 13,000 years of history or, or characters from 13,000 years ago with the characters today, with the characters in the future. And and that's that, it's a challenge, but it's also... It's a case of, you know, the, the big pat on the back when you pull it off, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Another project you worked on for a while there, I, I guess they're kind of, I don't know if they're children's books or parodies of children's book uh, series, but it's the Trumple Thin Skin books, which are obviously making fun of Donald Trump. What was going on there? Did you think, I just, this guy needs, he's just made for lampooning and the big baby balloon is just not enough? Or did you want to get inside that mindset or what was that going on? Well, it was um, my publisher. <laughs> um, it was, we were, we were, had signed the contract for these three books and uh, around about January 20, actually around about December 20, an email came around us all saying, look, there's an election in November in the United States. We must, we're writers. We must be able to do something for this, right? So I was always a big fan of uh, Private Eye in the UK. Even when I was living in Ireland, Denmark, I always used to get it because I love the whole satire parody thing. They they used to do these little short story pieces that were done like a fairy story around a political figure, say Margaret Thatcher or whatever. And they used to do these little pieces and I was always loved them. So then um, the publisher sent around the email and I basically give them like 300 words um, of um, Trumple Thinskin as a fairy story character, satire, parody, bit funny. And the first one was um, when he goes to try and get out of going to Vietnam with the bone spurs, so that so I caught titled it Trumple Thin Skin and the Wizard Bone Spurs. So he goes off to see this wizard. I'll give them like 200 words. And they wrote back within the hour and they said, right, that's terrific. Give us three books. 
Um, so I did three. They're not very big. They're like twelve hundred words. So you know, the story, you, know, you, you write the story in the, in the afternoon, and I sent it off, sent the three off, and then they came back to me and said, "I hear you are an illustrator as well. We want you to illustrate it." So I did the whole thing, and so the three books were the Bone Spurs one, the Wizard Bone Spurs, where he goes off to find the Wizard's Bone Spurs to get him out of going to Vietnam where he discovers that you can make believe anything uh, that's the wizard's power. The second one was, oh, when he goes to London, in the land of Oc, he goes to see the queen and gets into Buckingham Palace and everything. Right, right. And then the third one is the the giant peach. It's a gigantic, yeah, that's the impeachment. Yeah, with uh, Nancy Dancy and the other. So you somehow managed to make a character, even out of this guy, that you were like, hey, I, you know, I, I think this guy's fun to, fun to spend time with. Trumpled thin skin. With trumpled thin skin, well, it's, you know, um, as for viewers in the United States, I don't want to have a crack at anybody, but the guy's ludicrous, <laughs> you know. And he has been since the seventies. We've known him. We've watched him over the years, you know. Um, and he just lends himself, like, he, you know. Um, you know, if you take his character, that he, yeah, he's a wheeler dealer. He has no discernible talent. If he does have talent, it's at finding ways to move to the next grift. So that in itself is a talent. So yeah, he's a talented guy, you know. <laughs> and and then you also have a website called A Nice Cup of Tea. I have A Nice Cup of Tea. Nice Cup of Tea is kind of where I do the stuff that's not so professional. So my martintrainer.com website is my professional website with all the stuff and the books and the things and where I'm going to be and and that. Uh, and the nice cup of tea is where I essentially blog and yeah, it's 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 the more me side of things. It's it doesn't have the sophisticated finish of all this stuff. It's not meant for that. It's meant to be me talking about a book or talking about things that pop into my head, like um, you know how the geeks us. Right, we went from the 1970s of being these people who were, you know, oh, God, you kids, you read those comic books, to now, you know, we were the movers and shakers that actually made Marvel one of the biggest movie studios in the world because we like that stuff. And the geeks are everywhere, and that was a thing. So, I, 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 you know, the geeks shall inherit the earth kind of thing, and it's just sort of fun. And so I do that. It's kind of my thoughts. And, and my wife is a tea enthusiast, so I... Uh, I thought I'd revolve around tea because I like tea. I like coffee in the morning, but I like tea during the, the day. So the Logos Prophecy is the first in the Fall of Ancients trilogy written by Mr. Martin Trainer, who is um, Irish, but lives in Portugal. It's an ambitious project that expands thousands of years and encompasses almost every conspiracy theory known to man. Um, so, you know, hey, if you're going to do something, do it right. And that does seem to be Mr. Trainer's um, log line for his life. Of course, uh, people listening, please check the episode notes for links to Mr. Trainer's website, to his more informal cup of tea website, his books, including the Trumple Thinskin books and his first book and this book and that book and all the other books and all the other things that he's doing. The man is busy and yet not hassled and not harried, which I think is really, that is the secret to a happy and productive and successful life. 
So thank you very much for talking to me today, Mr. Trainer. Uh, interesting stuff. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you again, Mr. Trainer, for speaking to me today. And thank you, everybody out there, for listening to this episode of Conspiracy Clearinghouse. Thank you for visiting the Conspiracy Clearinghouse. We're closing now, but we'll open another crate in the next episode. Until then, thank you for listening.